This video is brought to you by the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Atlanta, and I'm grateful that they have shared it on YouTube. Today is an invitation to Membership Sunday. If you are ready to join this church and make a financial commitment for the work of this church in the world, then I invite you to meet with me after the service right behind this sanctuary through the double doors in my study. Also, mark your calendars for November 10th, right after the Sunday service. We're going to, as a congregation, look at the two questions that are this. Who are we? Who do we want to be? We need input from as many of you as possible, and there will be a light lunch served. Newsweek Magazine's coverage of spirituality in America brought to light a statistic that should surprise few of us here today. The number one reason Americans go to a house of worship is for community. Now what this tells us is that people no longer trust each other out in the wider world. We've talked about that before. The truth is, we may have difficulty trusting ourselves, our own intuitions, thoughts. So we have these aging institutions, commonly called churches, synagogues, temples, mosques, and for those who mistrust communities with such names, fellowships and societies. To provide a place to safely engage with other members of our species. Now we expect these places to offer a plethora of programs that teach us how to do what was once basic instinct. Now I say aging institutions to refer to houses of worship because most of them have long ago abandoned the mission of their founders and instead cater to the whims of a consumer culture that shops for religion like it does for shoes. You know, the right fit, the right color, whether or not they affirm or inflate our status, how comfortable they will be once broken in, and how much they will cost. Watch the similarities between shoe shoppers and church hoppers. The first thing they do is check the price tag. Then, and only then, if the shoe fits, will they wear it. As for repairs, this too is a thing of the past. Can you say cobbler? Be it shoes or pews, once they wear out, well, it is out with the old and in with the new. Why spend time fixing the problem when there is a marketplace full of new and improved models? Newer seems to always be better and loyalty to brand names is so passe. Yet, yes, if it no longer fits, just quit. If the thrill is gone, just move along. <laughs> Friends, it is time to count the cost. The mission that I claim most religious movements have abandoned is one of a narrative nature. It is the story. 
In our case, Unitarian Universalists, the story leads to a unique chapter in religious history that determined God is one and salvation is for everyone. It was part of a larger story that draws both its inspiration and its empirical proof from a book called The Bible. See, I am losing some of you already. <laughs> I never said it was a popular story. In fact, living out the tenets of these tales could get you killed. Just ask Jesus, or Michael Servetus, or Francis David, or Norbert Chopik, or James Reeb, but you cannot, as these Unitarians have all been martyred for their faith. Now, if you don't know who I am talking about, then it is time for some remedial reading, some repair work. You have got to wear to get your Sunday shoes broken in by wearing them more than just once day a week. Our mission is the reenactment in today's world of the redemptive story that calls all that is into question. And we do embody a religion of radical inclusion. So when I am asked what unit, who we Unitarian Universalists are, I tell them this. We are a redemptive community, Unitarianism, of radical inclusion, universalism. Universalism excluded no one for any reason. Unitarianism said God is one, no matter how many pieces are chopped off in the service of sectarianism. Our liberal religion has always been subversive in direct opposition to the cultures it has confronted. You cannot preach and live out a theology of equality in a nation that routinely ranks the worth of its citizens based on how much they contribute to the gross national product. That's patriotic heresy. You will sure end up on homeland security hit lists if you do. Of course, we don't, religious folk, that is, and therefore we have little to fear. The government has little reason to mistrust us since we no longer trust each other enough to actually practice the civil disobedience our redemptive story requires. It is much easier to fuss with each other than to fight our real oppressors. Let's tangle over turf on Sheridan Road instead of Pennsylvania Avenue. The culture of our congregation should be a culture of contrast when compared to the culture of consumerism. It was Martin Luther King who said, if a man has not found a cause for which he is willing to die, he isn't fit to live. Every time we dare enter this holy place, we should expect to die to self in service to others. That is our story. It is as unique as it is ultimate. 
Now, it seems to me that Unitarian Universalists often mirror rather than influence the culture of our time and place. Have we traded our own story for the story of the dominant culture? Are we owned by the latter? So now we recite happy sayings like, love is the spirit of this church and service is its law. No offense, friends. I love James Vila Blake's words. I have no intention of removing them from Hope's liturgy. I just am not sure this is an accurate description of who we are and what our purpose is. Love is not the spirit of this church, nor should it be the way love is commonly understood as conditional love. I'll love you if, then fill in the blank. The redemptive story of radical inclusion does not mean we love everybody. This is a consumer-driven cop-out. It's cheap grace, as if love were a commodity that we are guaranteed in exchange for church membership. In one state in which I ministered, Nevada, you could legally buy love in certain counties. <laughs> the church prostitutes itself when it adapts to the deal-making, feel-good mentality of the wider culture. No, our story does not promise love. Instead, it promotes right relations. Now, let me be clear. You do not have to even like let alone love, everyone who calls this church their spiritual home. If you are relatively new around here and think that everybody loves you, just stick around a while. See, when we lose track of our story, we become unable to welcome and to witness. We simply don't know who we are. Then comes the big question. Why even go to church? As is often the case in matters ecclesiastical, this is the wrong question. We do not go to church. We do not belong to a church. We are the church. We are the church. The church is not its buildings, no matter how aesthetically pleasing or historically valuable they happen to be. A focus on the facilities can easily distract us from the story that calls for a church without walls. I know of too many congregations that were more of a church when they had less of a building. Now I'm told this church was largest and most vibrant in the previous decades. Did its mission become ambiguous? And did its message become confused? These are interim ministry questions that only you can answer. But I will say this. Almost no one will join and financially support a church with an identity crisis. If this building, if this church, caught on fire and was scorched to the ground tomorrow, we'd still be the church that seeks hope, love, and justice, so long as we know who we are 
and where we're going. Where we gather is irrelevant to our vision and our purpose and to identify as a redemptive community of radical inclusion. Forget this and you'll soon be worshiping in a museum or worse less in a mausoleum. No building, no building can truly capture the spirit of this church. The church is not its programs, no matter how entertaining or widely attended they may be. We must be forever vigilant for a consumerist, have it your way, pay to pay-per-view approach to congregational life. You know, I'm not so impressed with the number of programs churches offer. Any church could fill time slots and call it spiritual. What matters to me is how programs help fulfill a congregation's purpose in relation to the purpose of Unitarian Universalism. How do they challenge us to live out our calling as a redemptive community? How do they prepare me to stand against that which drains life personally and culturally? And what's this all about lowering your pledge when you don't get your way? Newsflash, newsflash, the church is not made in your image. You are not paying for services rendered or for material goods. Now, I'm sure this doesn't happen here. Oh, okay. How can many of us, how can any of us put a price on cultivating our highest aspirations of nurturing our spiritual wounds? What is the cost of being supported by a caring community? Show me the price tag for prayers uttered on your behalf or for participation in a larger movement that seeks to build the world we dream about or a liberal religious faith that you can cling to and rely on in the deepest recesses of your heart. Lower your pledge? You've missed the point. The Universalist Hosea Ballou, lamenting uh, about the church's preoccupation with trivial pursuits, pleaded, if you cannot put it into practice, have none of it. If you cannot put it into practice, have none of it. Good advice if we are willing to pay the price. Great, great advice if we are able to understand that our cause is too urgent to waste time on programs derived only from personal agendas or historical precedent. It is an important admonition for, from everything from congregational purpose statements to personal belief systems. The church is not an institution no matter how large or evolved it grows to be. Forms of governance, Robert's rules of order, fiduciary responsibility, organizational flowcharts, and hierarchical chains of command will diminish the power of the story 
if they do not model its message of radical inclusion. We must always ask, which comes first? So we're clear that what drives our decisions. Left unfettered, institutional needs will replace the church's purpose and become an end in themselves. Congregations, in turn, end up with a country club churchianity that mimics our consumer-driven culture. No, we do not go to church. We do not belong to a church. We are the church. The church is not its buildings or its programs or its pledge base. Neither is it an institution. It's a people. It's an organic movement on an adaptive journey that maps its future through its past, that charts its coordinates with an abiding trust in its members. Now, this trust is essential if the church, if this church is to move forward in the spirit of its story. A final clarification the church does not have volunteers. Instead, volunteers are the church. Without volunteers, the churches perish. So what do I hear around this church? It's so difficult to find volunteers, and no one wants to chair a committee. These are signs of a declining church. I know folks are busy but they still seem to find time to do the things they really want to do. Where has all the passion gone? This church's founders planted a liberal oasis in a conservative landscape. They were passionate about religious freedom, the human spirit, and the right to build your own theology. Now, has Tulsa progressed to the point that it no longer needs sanctuaries of sanity for free thinkers. People become impassioned when they see that their church-inspired actions make a difference in a world of indifference. Members become committed when they are part of the decision-making process. Now, when it comes to church governance, decisions should always be made at the lowest levels of authority. This implies that people are trusted and empowered to own its ministries. It is an adaptive process that requires constant attention by church leaders. It also means knowing when to hold on and when to let go. Are there programs and events at Hope that have lived past their shelf life? Do new programs need to be designed to attract the people who are not here now? Do we know who we are and who we want to be? Once again, these are questions, interim questions, that only you, the members and friends of Hope Church, can answer. I don't know the answers. I make observations. I suggest ways to move forward, and then it's up to you. 
We used to sing in Sunday school, I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. We need to stop the pursuit of perfection. It doesn't exist, especially in intentional communities like Hope. As Unitarian Universalists, we don't have to be right, but we do have to be kind. In your own life, is there a chase you need to give up or a hunt for which there is no trophy? Are there beliefs you hold on to but can no longer put into practice, as Hosea Ballou warns? My advice, born of experience, is this. Do not wait too long to confront the difficult parts of congregational life or your own life. Don't put it off another day. We're all better than that, even on a good day. Rise up, even when the church lets you down. Don't take years to share the part of your story that others need to hear. Instead, live your best life now. Become a chapter in this church's story as a redemptive community of radical inclusion, one that welcomes even you and even me. The old Shaker hymn says, "'Tis a gift to be simple, tis a gift to be free, tis a gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. Are you willing? Are you? Thought I was having a hearing problem just for a minute. <laughs> you know, I'm willing. With a story on my lips and a song in my heart, I know I am. I am the church. You are the church. We are the church together. That's our identity. That's who we are to the glory of life.